Glad you're joining us this morning. I want to wish everyone, especially you moms, a happy Mother's Day. Uh, this is a special day in the lives of a lot of people. And if your mom's still living, I encourage you to reach out to her today and just affirm her in some way. Uh, recently, our, our son and daughter-in-law became foster parents of a little precious five-year-old girl. And uh, our son began calling us and just asking all kinds of questions about things we did with him up until his fifth birthday and, and what, what kind of things we did to teach him and, and be intentional with him. And I told him, I said, you know, your mom did a lot of that because I was so busy in school and doing all those things I was doing that time in our lives. And I said, you know, there's just so many things your mom did that she was intentional about reading to you and teaching you how to read and teaching you all these different things about life that parents teach their kids. And the interesting thing is he didn't remember a lot of that. And I think probably for most of us, we don't remember a lot of the things that our moms did for us when we were very young. And yet we're part of who we are today is because of the influence and the the time they invested in our lives. So today, before the day's over, I would encourage you just to think about your moms and to do something intentional if you haven't already. Even if you've already sent them a card, you might wanna call and just say, hey, I love you, mom. Appreciate everything that you've done uh, for me in my life. Things I don't even remember because our moms do that for us. Today, above every other, we're, we're talking about the names of God and, and to, particularly the two names we're gonna talk about today. One of them deals specifically with a young mom. And so it's appropriate that on Mother's Day, we'd be talking about that and looking at that. But as we start, I wanna just give you an affirmation about what the Bible says in another place that we haven't looked at yet about the names of God. In Proverbs 18:10, it says this, the name of the Lord, and it's Yahweh, it's Yahweh's name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they're protected. I don't know about you, but as we've studied the names of God, I feel like that. I feel like there's protection, there's something that's fortifying to my life about knowing the individual names of God, knowing who he is, knowing him personally. It increases my strength, it increases my resolve, and it helps me face, as I'm sure it will in your life, the attacks of our enemy on our faith. Oftentimes, the Bible says we take up our shield of faith. Oftentimes, that's where I feel most attacked is in the area of my trust in God. You can look around your circumstances and certainly with all that's going on in our world right now, and even in the life of our church, it's easy to look around and think, man, you know, where's God? What's going on? Why is this all happening? And your trust in God, your belief in him can come under attack by your enemy. And the name of the Lord, the Bible says, is a strong tower. So it's a refuge. It's a place for you to go and realize again who God is, even in the midst of, of uncertain times. So this morning, I want us to look at two more names of God. We've been taking two names each week. And these names are just so specific to his character. And so today, uh, the first of these names is the name El Roy. El comes from Elohim, which means powerful, supreme, and sovereign, the name of God that is given to him in Genesis 1-1. And, and yet it adds to it today, this idea of Roy, which comes from the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means to see or seeing. So it's the idea of this powerful, supreme, sovereign God who sees. And it's, uh, it's a great thing, a great comfort to know that God actually sees us and sees what's going on in our lives. So when you think about the scriptural context for that, if you have your Bible this morning, I wanna encourage you to turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we're gonna be looking at a couple of different narratives from the book of Genesis this morning related to these two names. So if you turn to Genesis 16, what you're gonna see is uh, some interaction uh, what's going on in the life of Abraham. You remember that Abraham was promised by God in chapter 15 of Genesis that he would be uh, the father of many offspring. And yet at approximately 85 or 86 years of age, he didn't have any kids. And he and his wife were getting up in years. They didn't have any children yet. His wife was barren, Sarah. 
And yet he was promised this amazing promise. In fact, in Genesis 15, the Lord took him outside and said, I want you to count all the stars if you're able. That's as many descendants or offspring as you're going to have. You're going to be the father of many nations. And so um, Abraham had this great promise from God. It says in Genesis 15 that he believed God and it was considered unto him as righteousness. So Abraham was a guy who had great faith. Well, when you get to Genesis 16, what you see is his wife, Sarah, is impatient. And though God's made them this promise, she hasn't seen it come to fruition yet. Maybe you can relate to that. There are things in our life where we know God's faithful. We know he's going to come through for us, but he hasn't come through yet, not in the way that we expect. And so many times in that situation, we get impatient. So Sarah's impatient and she's taking matters into her own hands. So she has this slave girl who's an Egyptian girl named Hagar. And she says to Hagar, or actually says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to marry Hagar and I want you to make her your wife. And, and then you'll have a child with her. And this is the way that we can help God accomplish what God has planned for us. So she gets impatient. And this was never God's plan that, that Abraham would marry Hagar and that they would have a child together in substitution of what God had promised to do for them. So they have this, they get married, they have a, they, she's pregnant, Hagar is. And in the midst of that, the Bible says that Sarah, Abraham's wife becomes very angry with her, upset with her. She becomes contemptible to her, the Bible says. And so she begins to mistreat her badly and Hagar runs away. She just basically leaves. She's young. She's in this incredibly hard situation. She's um, pregnant with a baby and going to be a mom for the first time. And she's being mistreated by the one who actually chose this for her. There's no evidence that she even consented to this happening in her life, but she was a slave. She didn't have any choice. And so She's, she runs away. She's running away from everything that's familiar to her. She's trying to get away from a bad situation. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 16 and look in verse 7. And I'm going to read through verse 10. This is what it says. So she's run away and the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? And she replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. So God sees her in this moment and God interacts with her through an angel and reassures her that, that everything's gonna be okay in her life. She just needs to go back to where she's from, go back to her husband, go back to the situation of being under submission to Sarah. And, and, and that's a whole separate sermon that we can deal with sometime about that issue. But, but here's what I want you to see about the name of God. In verse 13, she says this. So she named the Lord, Yahweh, who spoke to her, you are God who sees me. And it's literally El for Elohim. El is a compound. El Roy, you are the God who sees, or you are the God who sees me. She personalizes it. And, and it's an amazing thing when you think about that. In her situation, in this most desperate time in her life, when she feels hopeless, she realizes the angel of the Lord comes to her and she realizes that, realizes that God knows about her, that God's concerned about her, that he knows her personally because he sees her, El Roy, the God who sees. And so I want you to think about her status for a minute. She's a slave, she's an Egyptian and she's not living in Egypt. So she's living in a foreign culture. She's living in a foreign land. She's under the authority of these people that who knows how well she even knows them. So she's in a distressful situation already. And then and then think about this, her situation. She's going to be a mom in a situation where 
the person that has asked her to do this now can't really stand to be around her. So what does that mean for her future? As she looks out into the future, she feels hopeless. I'm sure she feels uh, like there's no thing to look forward to in her life, but, uh, but isolation. And for a woman in that day and time, especially a slave, they'd have no possessions, they'd have no inheritance, they'd have no way to make a living for themselves. So you can't really imagine a more desperate or hopeless situation for a young woman to be in, for a young mom to be in. And in that moment, that is the very moment that God reveals himself to her as El Roy, as the God who sees her. And it makes a huge difference in her life. And, and so through that whole situation, she's, she's realizing how personal God is. Maybe for those of you today who are mothers, or maybe you're not yet a mother, on a, on a day we celebrate motherhood, maybe it's a hard day for you. And I'm sensitive to that issue. I understand that because I have people in my family who struggled with being able to have children or get pregnant. And they wanna be a, a mother so desperately and they're not able to. And oftentimes it leads to some sense of doubt, some sense of despair even. Why would God not allow me to have a child? Why would he not allow us to bear children as a couple? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you can relate to Sarah. Maybe you can relate to Hagar. Maybe you're pregnant and you're in a situation where you're not sure about your future. Um, maybe like Sarah and Abraham, you didn't do it God's way necessarily, but you're in this situation now and you're trying to figure out how do I move forward? The word today for you is this, it is for all of us, is that God sees you. El Roy means that God sees, he sees you. And it's an amazing thing that happens in her life because it creates out of a hopeless situation, this sense of great hope. All of us face times in our lives when we doubt that, when we doubt that God really sees what's going on in our lives. We face hard times, we face hardship. Maybe someone in our family gets a diagnosis we didn't expect, maybe we get that. Or something happens to one of our children or something happens to someone else that we love, a tragedy of some kind. And, and we're, we're often tempted to believe that somehow God is not aware of what we're going through. It's as old as your Bible, that idea, that, that story, that really is an attack on your trust in God. But what God wants to communicate through his names and specifically this name El Roy is that there is never going to be a time in your life that God doesn't see you. God knows everything about you. And, and the Bible mentions in many different places, the idea of God's eyes or God seeing and, and God watching people, God watching humans and, and observing what they do. And so something I would encourage you to do this week, even with your family, as you've got time, is just do a study, do a search, either an internet search, or if you have some other study tools at home, some other books, and just look up all the places in your Bible where it talks about that God sees or God's watching or God's aware of what's going on in the lives of people. Let me mention one of those particular passages of scripture that relates to this idea specifically of God seeing. In Matthew chapter six, the, the, this recording of Jesus' sermon, the famous sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus sat down thousands of people and he he taught them. And the Bible says he taught with authority. They, at the end of that sermon, uh, the people actually recognized that Jesus spoke with more authority than anyone that they had ever heard teach before. And that makes sense because he was God in the flesh. He was not like any other man. And so people recognize that about him. But in, in Matthew 6 and 7, in 5, 6 and 7, he teaches all these amazing things. And in chapter 6, verse 6, he says this about prayer. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. 
and your father who sees in secret will reward you. That's an amazing promise. Sometimes I think our prayer lives basically can be boiled down to a list that we keep. We hear of a need, we write it down maybe, if you're even that diligent or disciplined in your life, or maybe you just promise people, hey, I'll pray for you about that. Because when we're faced with hearing something that's going on in their lives, we often think, well, how can I comfort them? What can I say to them to help them in that moment? And the best thing we can think of to say is that I'll pray for you. And that certainly is a good thing to do if you follow through and actually pray for them. But some of us have a list that we keep. Some of you do that. You have a prayer list and that's not a bad thing. But if your prayer life only consists of you sitting down and going through a list of requests to God, then let me just tell you, you're missing out on what prayer can really be in your life. Because what Jesus is talking about is a relationship with God, about going in to your inner room. And the idea here is privacy. Go to a place in your life, wherever it is, where it's not about you acting in front of people to be spiritual or to look spiritual, because he compares that and contrasts it to what the religious leaders of their day did, which was to go out on the street corner and pray loudly so that people would notice how incredibly spiritual they were. He says, no, in contrast to that, go into your inner room. In other words, go to a place where nobody can see you, but God. Because he says, when you go into your inner room, you can know it's a promise from the Lord that he sees you. Just like he saw Hagar, just like he sees all of our lives, and it will transform the time that you spend with him praying to know that he is actually there, that you are in his presence, experiencing his presence, not because it's a feeling that you feel, but because he's given you the promise that when you do that, when you go into the inner room and you shut the door, he promises that he sees you in that place. And so I wanna encourage you, if you've not practiced that in a while, even today, this afternoon, after you've had your Mother's Day celebration, your lunch, whatever you're gonna do as a family, that you take some time this afternoon somewhere, this evening, and either in your home or outside in your yard or in your garage. I even knew of a student when I was in student ministry that would practice this by going and sitting in the family car in the driveway because he shared a room with two of his brothers and he had no privacy. There was nowhere to go in his room where he could really just be alone with the Lord. And so he would get up early in the morning and he would, he would go out there and start his parents' car up and just sit in the car and pray and recognize that the Lord was gonna keep his promise to know and see what was going on in his life. And so I would encourage you today to find some time where you can specifically do that. Get into an isolated private place and reckon on the promise of God because God is a God who sees you. There will never be a time in your life that God's not aware of what's going on in your life. So that's the first name that I wanted to roll out to you today is the name El Roy, the God who sees. Now, the second name is the name that's probably more familiar to you. It's the name Yahweh Yireh, or we say it often in English, Jehovah Jireh. They kind of rhyme, I get it. Jehovah Jireh, maybe at some point in vacation Bible school as you were growing up or youth ministry that you heard the song Jehovah Jireh. And I know we've sung it a bunch of times here at our church. And so a lot of people are familiar with that name but it's the name Yahweh with the name Yaira added on to that. And as I studied this week, I just have to tell you, I realized an amazing thing. Um, I actually thought that I was confused at one point because as I, I have done a study a long, long time ago on the names of God, but it wasn't nearly as in depth as I'm undertaking now to be able to present to you kind of the full counsel of God on these names. And so as I study these names each week, honestly, I'm learning new things. And so, as I got to studying Yahweh Yireh and looking up, as I often do, go back to the original language, the Hebrew language, 
and, and get an interlinear out that shows the English and the Hebrew and then has reference numbers related to the words that are used, what their root word is. And I realize some of you aren't word nerds, but I'm kind of a word nerd. I like to go back and find the origin of the word and what it really meant because it, it has a specific meaning that it's trying to communicate. When the Lord inspired people to write the Bible, it wasn't just any word will do. He had specific words to communicate specific ideas. So as I studied the word Yaira, I knew what Yahweh meant. Yahweh means self-existent, personal, and, and, and uh, present in our lives. But I, I wasn't really sure. Obviously, Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider. I mean, that's something that we know from the song and it's something that in Christian culture, you're probably familiar with. You've probably seen a banner with that or some t-shirt or something. But I wanted to go back myself and see what the original word was. And so as I studied that, I realized that my phone that I used to study with oftentimes and do research on, it kept going, as I looked up the word for Yaira, it kept going back to the word C. And I was like, okay, my phone's messing up. It's going back to the word for Elroy. It's just messed up. So about four times I did this and I kept thinking, okay. So I turned my phone off. I turned it back on. I thought, okay, it's just not, it's not keeping up. Something's fouled up with my phone. So I looked on another source. And what I realized is an amazing thing. Yaira comes from the exact same word that Roy comes from. Roy comes from the word ra'ah, which means to see. Well, Yaira comes from ra'ah, which means to see. So I'm thinking now, Jehovah or Yahweh Yaira means to see? Why do we say provide then? Why do we say provider? Yahweh is my provider, Jehovah Jaira. Why do we use the word provider in English when the Hebrew word is the word to see? Now, this is where it gets really interesting and good. I want you to think of the word provision for just a minute because we get the word provide our provider from the idea of provision. The word provision has what word in it? It has the word vision in it. And if you break down the English word, it's pro, which is the prefix that means before vision. And what it's saying is this, and this is how we get the idea of God, Yahweh, Yaira being a provider, is that God sees before we have a need. Is that not powerful when you think about that? And so if you want to know the biblical context for it, it's in Genesis 22. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, just a few chapters over from Genesis 16, you'll see the story of Abraham and now his birth son was Sarah because God did keep his promise to him. And they have a son named Isaac, which means laughter. And in the very first verse of chapter 22, what you'll see is that God says, I want you, Abraham, to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Now that is an unthinkable thought, okay? And the Bible says in verse one of chapter 22 that God did this to test Abraham, to see where his love and loyalty really lied. And so as you read on in the story, what you discover is that they travel to this certain mountain, the mountain it's called Moriah. And interestingly enough, the word Moriah also has the word ra'ah in it. And we'll talk about that this week in the podcast if you want to tune in and find out more about that. It's very interesting how these things all fit together and not accidental, I'll say, as God led people to write this. But he takes him to this mountain and uh, Isaac says, Dad, you know, we're traveling along here. There's going to be a sacrifice. I see we've got wood. I see we've got fire. Where's the lamb? And in that moment, in uh, verse number eight, this is what... This is what, uh, sorry, this is what Abraham says to him as they, uh, as they talk through this. He says, Abraham answered him, his son Isaac, he says, God himself 
will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Now, when it says God will provide in the original language, what it says is God, Yahweh, actually here, Elohim, uh, Yaira will provide. God will see it. And what that means is literally you could think of it this way. God's already pre-visioned it. He's already seen it before it happened. He's already knowing that you're going to be in this need and he's already provided. He's already seen to it. So the way that you can think of Yahweh Yara is the God who sees to it. And that does encompass the idea of him providing. The God who sees to it. He sees what you need before you need it. And he makes a way for that to happen in your life. And that's exactly what happens in Abraham's life. Because as you read on, what you see is he's about to follow through. He's about to be fully obedient to God and take his son's life. And an angel stops him and says, don't, don't, don't take your son's life. I see now that you honor the Lord and don't take your son's life. And Abraham looks up and he sees, which is the same word. He sees a ram caught in the thicket and he goes and gets that. And he offers that to the Lord as a sacrifice. And so, um, this is what it says in verse 24, or sorry, verse 14 of chapter 22 in Genesis. Abraham said this, Abraham named the place the Lord will provide Yahweh Yireh is what the words are, his name. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. So what Abraham was saying as he, as he realized God had provided, because I don't think Abraham ever wavered in his faith. If you go into the book of Hebrew chapter 11, you'll see that it's a commentary basically of the people throughout the Bible who trusted God, who kept their faith solid in God. And what you see in Abraham's life is it says there that he believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. And so he wasn't sure exactly how God was gonna see to it for him in his life, but he knew God was going to. He never wavered in his trust of God. And in that case, he believed that God, if he did end up taking his son's life, that God would raise him from the dead, that God was capable of even a miracle like that in his life. And so, you don't see Abraham ever wavering in his trust. He totally believes. And so he names this place, God will see to it, or God has previsioned it to see to it. He already knows. And so in my life and in your life, I want you to think about what that means. Yahweh Yaira means that whatever you're facing, God has already seen it before it happened. And he hasn't just seen that it's gonna happen. He's seen to it, which means he's already working on and providing what you need, he's pre-visioned it in your life. He's given you provision in your life. Isn't that true in your life? Haven't you been able to look back? Oftentimes we can't see in the future, obviously, but we can look back on our lives and trace where God, where we see that God had already been setting things up in our lives. I, I know you guys know this because I've said it many times since last September when my wife was diagnosed, but the Lord has made it very clear that in, in me and Christy's life that dependence always leads to provision. When we trust God, and it's true all through your Bible, but when we trust God, he always honors that with some provision, some prevision, some, uh, some effort of seeing to it in our lives, of seeing that he provides for us. Now, does that mean that we get it exactly the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it? No. But what, what the promise is, is that God will always provide for those people who put their faith and trust in him in some way. And, and over the last eight months of our lives, you guys know our story. And if you don't, you're gonna get tired of hearing it because I'm gonna keep saying it. I can't believe in some ways that in eight months, my wife could go from stage four breast cancer where she was really given very little hope to eight months later being cancer free. And, and I think back on that, even before she was diagnosed, we can see 
how God was previsioning for us. He was putting things and people in place to make it, to make a way for us. He was putting things and people in place to see to it for us. One of those people is Dr. Chip Hodges. Dr. Hodges is a member of our church. He's a deacon. In fact, he went through deacon training a couple of years ago, and that's where I really kind of got to know Chip before my wife was ever diagnosed with cancer. And he has been an amazing friend, brother, helper, doctor, counselor through this entire process. And, and as we look back on this struggle, this journey we've been on over the last eight months, we realized that years before we ever needed it, God had him here for us. Now, was he here just for us? No, he's here to help a lot of people. And there's a lot of great doctors like Chip. But my point is, you can look back on your life and trace God's faithfulness all through your life of, of the ways when you trust in him that he has previsioned things for you. He has seen to it in your life. Chip's just one of those many, many answers to prayer. I think of our church family. So many of you have prayed. And, and as you prayed for us, you're part of the miracle that God's done. You have been a part of that. And you've been so faithful to write us and call us and text us and just say, still praying for you, still praying for you. You're a part of this. You're part of God's seeing to it in our lives. He knew 28 years ago when we came here that we were gonna need to have a church family that would love us and support us. And you have done that in amazing ways. And I just, I wanna again say thank you to you as a church family. And then our church staff, our, our pastors and ministers, and so many friends even in our lives have, have checked on us, have prayed for us, have encouraged us, have been generous, given us gifts and gift cards for food. And the church family, you guys have done that as well. So we see God's previsioning in our lives, all these things being set up before we needed them. And so that means that it's true for you as well. We're nothing special. We're just, we're just average people that me and Christy that seek to honor the Lord with our lives. But that's not why God has, has seen to it in our lives. He's seen to it in our lives because that's who he is. Because he's Yahweh, Yaira. He is the God who sees to it. He's the God who provides in our life. And in your life, whatever you're going through right now, you should take great comfort as if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the knowledge that it's not so much what you need right now. God knew that already. and He's already set up provision in your life to see to it in your life, but not just for now, everything you don't know about what's coming in your life in the future. None of us know the future. None of us know exactly what's coming, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be certain that Yahweh Yara is seeing to it even in the future of your life right now. He's pre-vision. He sees it before it happens in your life. That is such an encouragement in, in my life and I hope it is in yours as well. And so whatever you're going through right now, just know it's no surprise to God. The God who sees you is also the God who sees to it in your life. These two names together complement each other like every part of God's character and every part of his names. But these two specifically really complement this idea of God knowing and seeing what goes on in your life and then seeing to the things that he wants to do in your life. So I hope that you draw great encouragement from that. And this morning, what I would say to you if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ and, and you're not a believer, is that, that God is seeing to it in your life as well. He's put people in your life, he's put situations in your life to make you aware that he loves you that he created you to have a relationship with him and that your greatest need to have your sin forgiven, he actually saw to that thousands of years ago 
even before Jesus came to earth, when he planned to have Jesus come to earth and die and be a savior for you to meet your greatest need, which is forgiveness. And so this morning, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life and your sin is not forgiven, you don't have the assurance of these promises. You can't run to the idea of the name of God and find it to be a strong tower in your life because you don't have a relationship. But the good news is you could. You could start a relationship with him this morning, right where you are, right where you're watching this. You could simply, the Bible says, to call on the name of the Lord. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the Bible says. That's a promise to every single person. And, and God has provided for you. He has previsioned what you needed and he sent Jesus to meet that need in your life. And that's forgiveness. That's to make you right with God. You could never do that on your own. You could never be good enough and I can't either. But the good news is I don't have to and you don't either. The good news is if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he'll come into your life and he'll save you. He'll forgive you of all your sin. He'll remove the barrier that stands between you and God. And you can have a personal relationship with God where he does see you. He sees you now, but where he sees you in a relationship and you have a special place of being able to talk to him like the prayer time that I talked about from Matthew 6. And you can have that fellowship with him that changes everything about the way you live your life. And so this morning, if you'd like to receive Christ as your savior, I'd just like to lead you in a time of calling on his name. Again, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says will be saved. Jesus said this about himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. He said, no one can come to the father unless they come through me. He said, there's no other way to get there. It's very exclusive, but that's what Jesus said. And that's what followers of Jesus Christ believe. And so this morning, if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ, why don't you just pray to God and say something like this. Just say, dear Lord in heaven, I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe that God sent you and you died on the cross. Three days later, you rose again to conquer death and to defeat sin. And I, I want you to come into my life and be my savior. I repent or I, I reject the sin in my life. I don't want sin. I want to have a relationship with you. I want that more than anything. So would you please forgive me for my sin? Would you come into my life and save me? Because I want that more than anything. Thank you for listening to me, Lord. Thank you for saving me right now, for making me your child, for, for letting me be a part of these great promises of your character. Help me now to be bold as I live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you just prayed to receive Christ, I wanna say welcome to the family of God. We wanna encourage you and help you. There's a, a next step you can take. You can actually text next step one, the word next step one to 555-888. And someone from our church will text you back and start a conversation if you're willing to have one, just to kind of help you know how to take your next step in, in the Lord and your relationship with the Lord and connecting with the church. And that's very, very important. So I wanna encourage you with that today. But I just wanna say thanks for tuning in this morning.